Last week, uh, Pastor Micah started off this new sermon series called Transforming Prayer. And if you don't know, um, one of the pillars of our church is believing firmly in the power of prayer. And so I'm super excited that we're spending a number of weeks diving into the truths around that topic for us as believers. Um, And so this morning, we're going to be in Luke chapter 11. Um, You're going to want to go ahead and turn there. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, grab one underneath the seats around you because, man, we'd love you to be following and reading along with us, okay? Okay, so uh, my wife, Meg, and I, we have four kids. Uh, Three of them are now teenagers. I don't really know how that happened so quickly, uh, but it is pretty awesome to kind of get this front row view of them becoming adults. Uh, But my baby has been and always will be Lindsay. And there's a picture of, uh, of her up on the screen. And so uh, last week, uh, we celebrated her 11th birthday, okay, her 11th birthday. And so uh, she brought, in advance of this birthday, she brought to me this uh, wish list. And there's a picture coming up on there. Um, this is the wish list that she made for her birthday. She put all this work on it. She came to me. She goes, Dad, I've got this wish list. I want you to read it. And I said, great, it looks awesome, but I don't need to see it because I know what's in there, because she's been asking for the same thing for like three or four years. See, a few years ago, Lindsay started asking us for a gecko. Now, if you don't know what a gecko is, it's a lizard. Like, why on this planet this is her heart's desire is completely beyond me. But it is, and so when she first asked us, Meg and I kind of gave her our standard answer. Great, your mom and I will talk about it. Hoping that that would hold her off, it didn't. She came back again and again and again. Uh, She started getting more passive-aggressive with her asks, okay? She started posting pictures of geckos all around the house. That was nice and subtle. Um, And then she would get library books about geckos and, you know, just accidentally leave them out so we could read all these fascinating facts about geckos. Um, My favorite, though, is you, you guys know those Geico commercials with the gecko, right? Okay, so every time they would come on, every time they would come on, she would stop what she was doing and she would be like, oh, he's so cute and cuddly, and if I just had him, my life would be complete. I'm not exaggerating. Great. Her boldness and her persistence showed us how important this was to her, right? But even with all that, our answer was still no. I know, right? Could I afford a gecko? Yes. Do I want her to be happy? Of course. But see, Meg and I have been around the block a few times. We have three older kids. I know that it's de- there's a decent chance that six months into said pet arrangement, I'm going to end up having to take care of a gecko. And I just don't want the guilt that comes from trying to flush it down the toilet. <laughs> I'm just being honest in church this morning, okay? I also read, though, that geckos don't always make the best pets, right? They can be too loved, and that stresses them out, and their tails can fall off. I have plenty of drama in my life already. I don't need more drama of talking an 11-year-old off the cliff. And so our answer was still no. I know, right? But as the years went on, Lindsay started to understand that our way of thinking was a little different than hers. Um, We have this mantra in our house, you're welcome to take it, it's from the Bible. It's he who is faithful in little will be faithful in much. So Lindsay quietly went about for a couple years trying to do her chores responsibly and doing it without being asked. Last year she got trainer pets, 
And uh, I'm happy to say that they're all still alive a year later. And more importantly, I haven't had to do anything to keep them alive. So because of her belief that Meg and I could provide, her boldness, her persistence, her aligning of her thinking to our thinking, last week on her birthday, she is now the proud owner of Leo, her very own gecko. She earned it. It was a good week last week. No, I don't have a picture, sorry. Just a picture in your head how adorable they are. <laughs> this morning, I want us to see that Jesus calls us into a relationship with the Father in prayer, a lot like Lindsay and her parents. So in Luke 11, Jesus is coming back from a personal time of prayer, and the disciples are eager to learn, and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus then launches into one of the most famous passages of Scripture, the Lord's Prayer. Many of us know it, right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It's famous for a reason. It's a passage that is rich in instruction on the method of prayer. Uh, what words do I use? How do I talk to the Father? What topics do I cover? Long prayers don't always mean better prayers. But Jesus' teaching on prayer doesn't end there. He launches into this story, a parable, to demonstrate to us, to show us the heart attitude that he calls us to prayer with the Father, and that's where we're going to focus today. Uh, Jesus calls us to approach the Father and ask, to ask of him what we desire with boldness, with persistence, and out of a firm belief in who he is. And so our main point this morning is this, I can pray boldly persistently and expectantly because my Father loves me. So let's jump in. We're in Luke 11. We're going to start in verse 5. This is Jesus talking to the disciples, so read along with me. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. And so his first point, Jesus tells us, is that I can pray boldly. This, this feels like a weird story to us, right, in this day and age. Like, we live in, like, if I need something, no matter what time of day, I can just get in the car, drive down the street, and get it, Right? So I think for us to really get the whole beauty of what Jesus is teaching us here this morning, we have to understand a little bit about the culture of that time. First of all, they didn't have 24-7 schnooks, and they didn't have refrigeration, right? So most days, they had to either make or buy their food for that day, and then the next day start over. They also, didn't have, they, they also had a much stronger duty of hospitality back then than we do today. Now, to be clear, there's many in this church that have the gift of hospitality. It's awesome. But back then, it wasn't so much as an option. It was so given, or it was so expected, it was such a given, uh, that if someone showed up unexpectedly, that if you couldn't provide them a meal or a place to stay, it would be embarrassing, it would bring tremendous shame to you, your family, and depending on who it was, the entire village. And so with that as our context, our host, that's the main character in the story, he is a surprise visitor at midnight, but he's out of bread. He doesn't have any more daily bread. Can't go to the store, it's not there. Can't fire up the oven because it's going to take too long. And he goes, wait a minute, 
I remember from earlier in the day that I have this friend um, that I know he has extra bread because we were talking about it. I'll just go over there and ask him. But it's midnight. And I know if I go over there, it's going to cause quite a ruckus. But the host is desperate, right? He, wa- he doesn't want to wear this hat of shame. He doesn't want to be embarrassed not being able to provide. So he says, listen, it overrides he, his good manners. He tells the friend, sit tight, and he runs out the door to get bread. Now, in, in those days, they didn't have the houses that we have today, right? A lot of them have like one-room houses. And here in this story, we see that at the friend's house, the mom, the dad, the children, the baby, they're all asleep in the same bed. And oftentimes, a lot of these animals, they'd come in for the night and sleep on the floor with them. So just close your eyes and picture this scenario. You've worked all day long. You're exhausted. You finally get the kids to bed, and then after like a hot second to yourself, you fall asleep. All your chickens, cows, and goats, and whatever else you got are on the floor around you. It is midnight, and it is stone silent. Get up, get up. I, I got this visitor that came over in the middle of the night and I, I need your bread. I know you have it. Get up and help me. Listen, this is how we know that Jesus has a terrific sense of humor, right? What parent in this room, what grandparent, what babysitter can't immediately identify with what this friend is thinking, right? Like, I still have PTSD when all my kids were little and I'd finally get them to sleep and I'd be like tiptoeing out of the nursery and then the phone would ring and you'd like freeze. Oh, Lord, please don't let them wake up my baby and start all over again. That's what the friend does. He bolts upright, looks around, sees that his kids are still asleep, and he says, go away. Forget your bread. Don't wake up my kids. It's funny. But Jesus has a much bigger point here. His point here is that the situation for the host is so dire, the host is so sure That his friend has exactly what he needs. That he approaches boldly with no other thought on his mind. And then absolutely no fear of the consequences. Saying and sharing exactly what is on his heart. He's bold. So, um, Meg and I, uh, we are, if you don't know this, we are huge proponents of household budgeting. We've been that way for our whole life. True story. Uh, When we first got married, I used to whisk her off on uh, annual uh, weekend retreats, where the whole purpose of that was to work on and plan our budget for the year. And I know what you ladies are thinking. I know it. You're thinking, that's about the most romantic thing I've ever heard of in my life. How did Meg get so lucky? I know. She probably asks herself that every day. But the truth is, most of us don't really like budgeting, right? So because Megan and I had a knack for it, uh, we went through training to become counselors so we could help other people. We're working with someone right now, very dear friend of ours, um, so committed to faithfully putting the Lord first in their finances, uh, but they've got a challenge. Uh, They're upside down. Their expenses are way more than their income, and it's being driven by some one-time medical expenses from some procedures they had. And so we sat down with them, and we said, look, Uh, There's no other real way to get around this. You're going to have to call these healthcare companies and ask them to renegotiate the bill. That's the only way it's going to work. Now, for most of us, that's a scary call, right? 
Uh, to call a third party to explain your financial situation, that's embarrassing. And to lay bare that and put it in their hands uh, to help make this work, that's embarrassing. But for my friend who's on the quieter side, this is nothing short of terrifying. But the need was great and we were desperate and that's the only option we had. Uh, so my friend got bold, summoned the courage, banged on the door and asked. And here's the awesome part. Those healthcare companies that understood the situation, they knocked $1,500 off their healthcare bill. Just like that, which made it where, where we could balance that budget. Praise the Lord for that. Praise, praise the Lord for answer to prayer. Uh, my friend had to be bold in asking these healthcare companies, and Jesus is saying, here, look, I want you to be just as bold in asking the Lord in prayer. He says, which of you have the nerve to wake up a friend in the middle of the night to ask for bread? And which of us have the nerve to ask for so much more? The Bible is rich in instruction or in examples on bold prayer. Um, let me just give you a few examples. Elijah, the prophet of Elijah, standing in front of all of Israel, 450 prophets of Baal. And they set up this, this altar of wood. He's told them to douse it three times with water. And in front of all these naysayers, he calls on the Lord right then and there to rain down fire from heaven and burn up that altar. Or Joshua chapter 10. I love this story. Joshua's going to battle a bunch of, against a whole bunch of Amorite kings and their armies. And he's winning because it says the Lord is fighting for him. But the day's starting to get long and he doesn't want the day to stop. So he literally asks the Lord to stop the sun from moving. Or even in the New Testament, right? There's a story of Jesus in a completely packed, not even standing room only house, teaching all these people. And you've got this group of guys that have a paralytic friend can't get in there. They're so convinced that the Lord can do something about this. They climb up on the roof, they dig a hole in the roof, and they lower their friend down into the crowd in front of Jesus. Church, these are bold prayers. I think too many of us today are inclined to pray weak, tentative prayers. We caveat our prayers. We don't pray bold or big enough. But Jesus here is calling us to pray boldly to him, to ask for big things. So how can we pray more boldly as a church, as a person, as a small group? I think it's by remembering two things. Two things that can help us pray more boldly. First, bold prayer has faith that God can do what we ask. Right? God can do what we ask. We will not be bold if we believe we can do it ourselves, or worse, if we believe that God just can't do it. Ephesians 3.20 says this, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or even think, according to the power at work within us. We say this often at Harvest, we believe firmly in the power of prayer. But make no mistake, the power doesn't come from me or some magic words that I say. The power comes from who I am praying to. There is literally nothing the Lord cannot do, so let us not limit God when we pray. We can be bold because he can do it. 
We believe he can do what we can ask. Second, bold prayer believes that we have God's attention. Maybe some of you this morning think, look, God is focused on saving the lost, picking world leaders, holding up the world in his hands. I'm not fighting a whole bunch of Amorite kings this morning. Why would God have attention for what I'm doing and what my needs are in my own little part of the world? That is not the way the Lord sees it. Listen to this verse in Hebrews. It says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. It doesn't say here that Jesus can sympathize with the greatest of the problems in this church, the greatest of the problems in our country. It says Jesus can sympathize with us in every single respect. God cares about everything and every one of our needs, and he says that truth should give us confidence to draw near to him because he's sitting at the right hand of God inviting us in. He is giving us our attention. So when we see that the king who is capable of anything has truly given us his attention, we ask boldly. He can do anything, and he's listening, so let's be bold. Let's not be afraid to ask him and ask specifically for the things that are on our heart. So this morning, I'm going to ask is, will you pray more boldly? Will you pray more boldly where you are as a church, as a small group? Let's be more bold in our prayer. Uh, Now let's pick back up in our story. We're going to go back to the parable. Jesus is going to finish that. Uh, We're in verse 8, so uh, read along with me. He says, I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. So Jesus says here, look, not only can you pray boldly, but I can pray persistently. Persistently. The host was bold. He got up in the middle of the night, ran over to the friend, banged on the door. The friend said, hard pass, no bread, go away. But that's not how this story ends. The host doesn't go away. He knocks again and again, and he keeps knocking until the friend finally gets out of bed. And it doesn't say he got out of bed because he was his friend, because of some prior relationship, because of some obligation of kindness. It says he gets out of bed because of the host's impudence. Okay, I don't know about you, that's not a word I use very often. It's not a common word. Um, Here's an interesting thing for future Jeopardy, Bible Jeopardy in the church. Uh, The underlying Greek word here happens only once in the entire Bible, and it's right here. And that makes it a little more difficult to translate. It's translated a few different ways. Offensive, persistent, brashness. It's this idea of not being ashamed to ask over and over and over again. 
And then in verse 9, Jesus gives us the lesson of the story, the lesson of the parable. Um, and he's saying this, is, this should be our own heart attitude when we pray to the Lord. Like the host in the story, you and I are invited to do the same thing, to approach the Father and, and ask and seek and knock for what we need. And listen, it's not a one-time thing. The underlying Greek here, the verb tense, is continual. A more literal translation of this passage would be, keep on asking, keep on seeking, and keep on knocking. That is, be persistent or impudent as we pray to the Lord. Jesus uses three variations of the same idea, ask, seek, knock, to emphasize importance, to be clear. But I also think it's to show uh, how the, the, the level of intensity that we should have when we pray. Right? Same idea, but all three words conjure up little different things to me. To ask. I'm using my voice. I'm crying out to the Lord with my, with my desires and my asks. Uh, to seek. I'm using the full focus of my heart and mind as I seek the Lord. And then to knock, of course, that's using my body and action. But Jesus is saying in prayer, we go to the Lord with everything we've got. He's saying three times here, I want you to come to the Father and ask, and keep asking for what you need, and do it with intensity. And then in verse 9, he says that when we do keep asking, we will receive. And when we do keep seeking, we will find. And when we do keep knocking, that door will be opened. And in verse 10, he says almost the exact same thing. But he adds a, one piece to it. He says, look, am I just going to open the door for Pastor Micah or Nathaniel or Phil? No, I'm going to open the door to anyone who asks. And listen, every word in the Bible is true and important, right? Of course. But when we see something like this back-to-back -back that is almost literally the same thing, it's like it should be bolded, italicized, and underlined. Jesus is promising us here twice that he will certainly and most definitively answer our prayers. Hallelujah. Let's hold on to that. But I think we have to be careful about verses like this. So Jesus is talking here about our own heart attitude in prayer. That's what he's teaching. And he's not saying that God is like some cosmic genie ready to do my bidding. Otherwise, I'd be asking him for a Dairy Queen blizzard about three times a day. Jesus is not saying that believers always get what they ask for because there's this thing called the Lord's sovereignty. God is Lord, he has a plan, he is in control in everything. So let me share another verse to supplement that one to round out this teaching. James 4.3 tells us this, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So when we pray to the Lord, are our prayers focused on ourselves, our own self-glory, or are we focused on the glory of the Lord and his mission? God promises to open the door to our requests if they are focused on him, his mission, and his glory. 
You know, there's a lot, a lot of awesome stories in this building right now of answered prayer, right? The Lord is working at Harvest and has been working. He is responding to our requests for prayer and persistent prayer. And I'm going to give, let me give you one example. I have permission to share this story this morning. Uh, there's a, a person, a member of our church um, that uh, her mother was not a believer in the Lord. It was actually worse than that. Her mother was antagonistic, an advocate against her faith. Because she believed that the Lord had called her to be a disciple maker, she prayed for her mom's salvation at age 13. But her mom did not get saved, and so the persecution in her own house continued. Uh, My friend believed the Lord could do this, so she kept asking, seeking, and knocking. She was impudent with the Lord. She graduated high school, went to college, got married, had children, And yet, she continued to pray, but her mom did not change. My friend kept praying. She involved uh, other people. My wife and I were in a small group with her. If you're not in a small group, get in a small group. We were in small group, sorry. Um, We were praying right alongside her. Uh, Many of us were praying with her and her husband. Lord, save her mother. She prayed for 57 years regularly for her mom's salvation. And then when her mother was 101 and in hospice, she softened, let go, and she confessed her faith in Christ. That's an awesome testimony to the plan of the Lord in answer to persistent prayer. I think many of us have similar stories, right? Some of us have been praying and we see those answers. Some of us, we're still praying, but we haven't seen that answer yet. Even though the Bible tells us that God knows our needs, that even knows our words before we utter them in prayer, Jesus tells us to be shameless and persistent in our prayers, to keep knocking that he's not going to get tired of it. In fact, Jesus is saying being persistent in prayer is his design. It's what he calls us to do. Why? Why does God call us to be persistent in prayer? I think there's two reasons that at least, at least two that I want you to think about and chew on this week. Why does God call us to be persistent in prayer? First, our, our persistence demonstrates to the Lord the importance of our need. If I have boldness to ask, and I ask only once, or I forget, I must not want it very much. I came across this quote from David Guzik that struck me, and I can't say it better than he did, so I'm just going to read his quote to you. He said, God promises an answer to the one who diligently seeks him. Many of our dispassionate prayers are not answered for good reason because it is almost as if we ask God to care about something we care little or nothing about. Church, if it's important to us, it will be evidenced by our posture of prayer. This this is why you hear people say, write down your prayers. Right? Keep a prayer journal. Like, use this. I had it, but I've lost it. Use this bookmark that we got last week. What an awesome tool to have this right in front of you. Ask your small group members to hold you accountable. Look, I'm praying for this person to be saved. Keep reminding me. Keep asking me if I prayed for them because it's important to me. 
So we pray persistently to show the importance, but the second reason, which I believe is far greater, is that persistent prayer develops daily dependence on an ongoing relationship with God. You know, back up just a few verses earlier when, God, when Jesus is giving this sample model prayer for us. In verse 3, he says, give us each day our daily bread. He, he doesn't say, look, Lord, can you just give us all the bread I need this month, and then I'll check back in with you next month? Could he? Yes. He doesn't. That's not how God works, because God wants and desires relationship with us. He loves us. In 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul tells us to pray without ceasing. Never stop communing with the Lord. Why do we do that? It says, because this is the will of God for you. Jesus asks us to ask him for our needs every day to express our total dependence on him. So what have you been praying for that hasn't been answered yet? Or what were you praying for and have stopped? A lost child that hasn't come back? A lost friend that doesn't know the Lord? What about physical pain that is debilitating that the Lord has not taken away yet for you or someone you love? What about even spiritually? Some of us may have a stronghold temptation that the Lord has in front of us that has not been taken away. These things are hard to wrestle with with the Lord. But Jesus tells us here, if God hasn't answered, pray. Keep praying. And then pray more. Pray intensely. Expressing your complete dependence on the Lord, even in the midst of that thing. So will you pray more persistently this week, next week, the week after? Will you pray persistently? Uh, let's keep going in our final point. Um, we're going to be in verse 11. Jesus is going to tell a slightly different story to connect it back to the first one. He says, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Right? So Jesus has said, be bold, be persistent in prayer because it develops relationship with him. But why should we believe uh, that he will give us what we ask? As he finishes his teaching, he tells a story to say you can pray with confidence and also with great expectation because the Lord invites us, or I'm sorry, because the Lord loves us perfectly with good gifts. And so our last point is that I can pray expectantly. You know, in that last parable, um, we're the host, right? We're the ones that have the, that have the need, that need the bread to ask of the friend. But if I'm the host, do, does that make Jesus the friend? 
The person I'm asking, the cranky friend, the friend that's annoyed at being woken up in the middle of the night because he's got other things that he's focused on, is that Jesus? No. <laughs> no. Jesus uses this style of comparative teaching all throughout the Gospels, moving from the lesser to the greater. He starts with this example that we can wrap our heads around, right? I can relate to a guy being woken up and annoyed in the middle of the night. Just ask my kids. And then he says, look, you got that? The Lord is nothing at all like that. Incomparably greater and higher, you can't even wrap your head around it. That is our God. And he starts here in verses 11, 13. He's comparing a cranky friend or an earthly father to our heavenly father. And he starts off with this rhetorical question about an earthly father. And the answer is, of course. Of course earthly fathers uh, know how to give good gifts. They wouldn't give ever an intentionally harmful gift to their children like a scorpion or a snake. Man, am I glad that this didn't say lizard. That would be really awkward this morning. Just scorpions and snakes. Now, I have to say this uh, for a second. <clears throat> Some of you know that I grew up in an abusive home. And so I know that if there are other people like that in this room, sometimes verses like this are a little difficult to get. Maybe we didn't have an earthly father that was good to us or gave us good gifts. And so we struggle to understand and know that we have a heavenly Father that loves us deeply exactly as we are. So if that is you, I want to challenge you to think a little differently when we see verses like this. Jesus' ultimate point here is that the Lord is far beyond even the best of our earthly fathers. And so for those of us that didn't have obviously loving dads, that truth can bring all the more comfort. The Lord loves you. And if you, if you didn't get great gifts from your dad, great. I'm, bet, I'm betting you got gifts from someone. And so focus on that when you think about this passage. Now let me give you an example from my own life. So I was a clarinet major in college. I uh, loved it. I still love it. Um, but um, my first clarinet was in eighth grade, and it was a very basic, cheap, $300 plastic horn. It's all we could afford, and I loved it for the time. I played all through high school. Now, if you don't know much about clarinets, I'm going to tell you something. You're going to have to write this down because this is important. The Tesla of clarinets is by a company called Buffet. Okay? Anybody who was everybody had a buffet. I did not. They're expensive. And so I got all the way to, high, to college, auditioned for college. True story, they let me in, but the judges came up to me and they said, we can tell that you have a cheap horn. Go get a better one. And I said, great, are you going to scholarship me in? And they did not, so I still continued to play with this pl basic horn all through college and post-college. Now, enter Meg into my life. She, uh, we were married early, and uh, she... Um, understood early this tragic history of me not having a buffet. She got it. One year I got a bonus at work, and uh, we were newlyweds. We had all kinds of expenses, but she said to me, look, I want, to use, I want you to use this money and get yourself your very own buffet. Right? And here it is. 
I still to this day do not understand why she got this thing for me. I'd like to think that it was all that investment I did by the budget retreats every year. <laughs> this is my greatest earthly possession. It is. I call it my baby. If you ask my kids, it's my baby. And I know you're supposed to say that if my house was burning down, I would run out the door and grab my kids first. Okay, I would get my kids first. But this is in my closet right next to my bedroom door, so I would just grab it on the way out the door. My wife gave me the greatest gift I have ever had. And then Jesus calls her my parents, our friends, our small group leaders, our small group members, evil, full of sin. And he's right. Jesus is telling us here, well, look, if an evil person lost without Christ clearly knows how to give good gifts to their children, how much more? Does the perfect, sinless, without blemish, infinitely holy God with perfect knowledge and ability to do as he pleases know how to give us perfect gifts and our answer to prayer? And you know, I know that my daughter wants a lizard, but I'm also fallen, and so I struggle with what, when is a good gift? Is it going to spoil her? Is she is of the right age? Not so with the Lord. His gifts are always and can only be perfect, and his timing can only be perfect. And because of those truths, Jesus tells us that we can approach the throne of grace in prayer, and we can ask and we can expect that the Lord will give good gifts to us, his children. And what good gifts are those? Does he promise to meet our physical needs? Yes. Lots of examples about that in the Bible. But Jesus' concern for us goes way beyond the physical needs. And to emphasize that, he says right here, how much more will the Father give us the Holy Spirit? The Bible tells us that even though the Lord designed us to be in fellowship with him, we messed that up. Every one of us have sinned and chosen to go our own way, and that creates this ginormous chasm with the Holy God. And because we're lost, we can do nothing about it. But our sin did not stop the Lord from loving us. The same Jesus here who is teaching us on prayer this morning, the Lord sent him to earth for us. He lived a perfect life worthy of no punishment. He would go on from this story to die on the cross and take our punishment in our place on him. And then he tells us that if we repent, if we believe, if we give our life to the Lord, he saves us. And then he sends his Holy Spirit to seal us and guarantee us for eternity. What greater gift on the planet is there than eternity with the Father? There isn't. And listen, that's not all we get when we get the Holy Spirit. Uh, listen to all these things that come from the Holy Spirit and how he continues to bless us. The Holy Spirit brings salvation, brings eternity with the Lord. He comes to live inside us. The Holy Spirit sanctifies us, making us more and more like Christ. He teaches us to understand and apply the word of God. He gives us power to overcome and defeat sin. 
The Spirit gives each and every one of us spiritual gifts for building up the body and furthering his mission. This is my favorite. Uh, when, and, and even when we're trying to be bold and persistent in prayer, we cannot think of the words. The weight of what we are asking cannot produce words. The Spirit comes along beside us and prays to the Lord on our behalf with words that we can't understand. The gift of the Holy Spirit is not just a good gift, it is the greatest gift, and all the other blessings that the Lord wants to give us comes through that Holy Spirit. We must be bold and persistent, but our prayer life must be rooted in an expectation that we are loved by the Lord who desires to give us good things. So let me ask you, will you pray more expectantly to the Father? Or are you expecting good gifts from the Lord? I can pray boldly, persistently, and expectantly because my Father loves me. When we have this right understanding of the heart attitude God calls us to, when we approach prayer with Him, we see just how critically important a continuous life of prayer really is. God calls us to continuous prayer. If we are dependent on him and have enduring faith in who he is and his promises, we will ask and we will keep on asking relentlessly because we believe the Lord desires to give us good gifts. So as we close today, we're going to keep applying those words from the Lord right now to grow that intimacy with the Lord. You know, last week we started off this, uh, this 40 days of transforming prayer, prayer. Micah talked about it. We got the bookmarks. I really hope you have been praying. I hope you will continue to pray. But perhaps as we've walked through this passage this morning, the Lord has called to you certain persistent prayer needs that you have. Maybe you've been praying something for a long time, hasn't been answered. You need the Holy Spirit to keep you going, to keep enduring. Um, maybe you were praying for something and stopped, and you need the Spirit to remind you um, to be dependent on, that Lord, on the Lord for that thing every day. Maybe it's something brand new the Lord brought to light, or maybe um, he's out calling you right now to confess, to repent, and accept God's free gift of the Holy Spirit for the first time today. So while the worship team plays, uh, let's take the time and go to the Lord with those prayers. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to close us in prayer together. And then I want to invite you to pray. Pray for what the Lord has brought to your heart. Pray where you are, seated, standing, kneeling, out loud. Turn to a friend, share your prayer request to them, and pray with them. If you want to be bold, not for me, but for the Lord, if you want to be bold, come up front. Pray right here. Kneel at, kneel at the altar right up here for the Lord, and uh, Mike and I will be here if you want to be prayed with but pray. Let's be bold and shameless 
And let's be expectant that he will draw us closer to accomplish his purposes in and through us. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, we, are, we praise you this morning for the teaching of your word. For this teaching that you desire, that you love relationship with us, and that you are calling us in to pray with you, to pray boldly, to pray repeatedly, to build that dependence and relationship with you. Lord, we praise you for all these things that, that, that you are listening, that you are present, that you love us. Lord, let us be used by you. Let these prayers um, be used to accomplish your purposes. Save those around us that, that you've given us a burden to pray for. And Lord, I pray right now that as we come to you um, by ourselves in prayer with you, uh, that you would hear these prayers and that you would accomplish great things through them. We pray these things in Jesus' name.